Our guest for today is Mara Isaacs. She is a Tony and Grammy award-winning producer and founder of Octopus Theatricals, an independent production company dedicated fostering an expansive range of compelling theatrical works for local, national, and international audiences. While she's best known as the lead producer of the Tony-winning musical Hades Town on Broadway and currently overseeing more than 20 projects on the Octopus roster, she has produced over 150 productions that have been seen around the US and in the UK, Europe, Asia, Middle East, Africa, and South America. She runs Sing It Again Records, an indie records label founded in 2019 and is a co-founder of ProducerHub.org and a founding member of the Creative and Independent Producer Alliance. She previously served as producing director at McCarter Theatre Center in Princeton, New Jersey for 18 seasons. She produced new play development programs, productions for Center Theatre Group in Los Angeles as well. Hi, Mara. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Wow, that was an impressive resume, Mara. And we are so honored to have you here. Um, I've known you for many years now, and it's amazing given how much you have accomplished, how humble you are. So oh, it's sweet. it's really amazing that you're on the Woman to Woman podcast series today. And I'm so excited to be talking to you. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. So let's get started. A lot of us know things about you that are in the media, but what is something that nobody else knows about you? Well, one of the things that's not as well known um, is that although I have this wonderful career in the performing arts, I actually have a degree in medical anthropology. Um, yes, see, I, I can see the uh, surprised expression on your face. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it is surprising, but at the same time, I would say in ways I never could have expected, learning the skills required to be an anthropologist turned out to be very useful for being a producer because you have to both like learn a culture, learn the language, the the you know rituals, the customs, learn to kind of fit in, be accepted by the, the natives, and at the same time maintain enough distance to be able to observe, critique, analyze. And, and if you think of a production as a mini culture or a theater that you're working in or a community that you're making work in, those same skills are really useful. Did you have anybody else in production that kind of inspired you? Like if you were trained in more of anthropology, what, yeah. what made you shift? So uh, a couple of things. Uh, while I was an anthropologist by day, as a, when I, this is when I was a student, I was very involved in just some extracurricular music programs in the evenings for fun, not because this was gonna be my career, but just because it was a part of who I am. And I started singing in some singing groups and then I started, you know, organizing concert events and managing the groups. And then I was producing a tour and I was fundraising and I was producing and I didn't know it. And the thing that was so interesting to me was that other people were so stressed out by these tasks that were involved in kind of shepherding these vocal groups. And I didn't, it came very natural to me. I really enjoyed it. So I sort of stumbled into this role discovered that I had a natural instinct for it. And then as I was graduating from college, I have a cousin who's like a big sister to me. 
And she was working as a professional stage manager in professional theater in Los Angeles, which is where I grew up. And she was the one who said, you know, I've been paying attention to what you've been doing. And there's this internship program at the Mark Taper Forum, which is a major theater in Los Angeles. And, uh, and you should check it out. So I did, I applied for the internship program and I got the position and that was the beginning of the rest of my life. We all have plans, right? We all make huge plans and then we execute on them. So did everything go according to your plan? Well, there was no plan. So there that's the first no- thing. I, I, I didn't plan to go into the theater. Mm-hmm. Then when I discovered I was going into the theater, I, I made multiple plans, all of which changed and morphed along the way. So, you know, starting my career in an organization like the Mark Taper Forum, which is, um, was a large regional theater, really known for the development of new plays, I ended up becoming a specialist in developing new plays. Um, I didn't know what new play development was before I got there, but that's how I got trained. So that's what I became very good at. I left that theater and moved to Princeton, New Jersey to become the producing director at McCarter Theater. And I sort of thought, you know, I'd stay in Princeton three to five years, and then I'd go on to work at a theater, probably in New York. That was, that was my plan. Well, I stayed at McCarter for 18 years. And during that time, I, I discovered that the things that were motivating me were not the things that I thought would be motivating me. So when I had those opportunities to take jobs in New York, and I really started to weigh what was driving me to take those jobs, they weren't actually the things that were important to me. And I, I was fortunate to sort of figure out what my values were before making the wrong decision. And so I chose to stay in Princeton because there were things that were important to me that were about community and lifestyle and having a good time and you know, not, not making every decision based on where my name would be on the masthead or what I'd be able to tell people at cocktail parties, but actually what was gonna be my lived day-to-day experience and what was gonna fulfill me. And so that was an important moment when I shifted my plans because I realized the thing that was driving my plans was not actually what I wanted to be driving my plans. And then I sort of thought, well, eventually I will take over and run my own not-for-profit arts organization. And that was my plan for a while. And so I started interviewing for those jobs. And I started realizing that there were things kind of inherent in the not-for-profit model that really bothered me. So then I changed my plan and I decided to start my own company. And so that's what I've been doing for the last eight years. And I'm very happy with how things turned out. And I never would have predicted it if you had asked me at the beginning that this is where I would be. You mentioned values. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what what are some of your two or three guiding values that have really uh, morphed your career, your life, your family? There are a lot of things I think about when I'm, when I'm working professionally and also just in the world. I really believe it's important to kind of have a sense of purpose or mission to know what it is you're, you're there to do and then make choices that support that purpose. Um, I really believe in uh, service and generosity. And I also believe in rigor. And so those are the kind of principles that guide the way that I work, which is to have purpose, to be in service, but to do it at the highest level. Are there certain people that helped you shape who you are today? 
there are a lot of people who have helped shape who I am today. Um, I'm gonna start with my parents, of course, um, but particularly I'm gonna start with my mother. My mother is a visual artist. And while I was growing up, she was a painter and a printmaker, primarily also a photographer, and she ran her own business. So my role model was an artist with incredible business acumen. And we lived in a house where the, uh, the upstairs was her studio, but it had its own separate entrance. And three days a week, you know, a, a secretary would come and work for her. There would be a, a printer who would come and run the printing press. Um, she was representing the work of other artists in addition to her own work. And so the artists would be coming up to like sign their prints and, you know, whatever, do things. And that was the, and plus the house always smelled like turpentine. That was the environment that I grew up in. And it, so I was shaped by somebody who did both things, who did business and did art. And it's really funny because I just never questioned that that was a way to live. And as I became an arts professional, I saw that, that in my field, people try to separate. Either you're good at business or you're good at art. And I really try to fuse both of those things. And then the other part of that is my father um, spent much of his, he started his career as an engineer. Then he became a management consultant. Then he started his own business. Then he did something else. Like he was constantly in search of the next thing. My father is now 88. He's now um, enjoying a you know, semi-retirement. He's writing plays. He's doing voiceover work. Like he's found this other you know, source of stimulation. Um, and so that role model was that you don't always have to accept the status quo. You can constantly be dreaming and thinking about yeah. um, some future possibility. So, uh, you know, I could go on and on, but I would say my parents were very influential in ways they probably didn't even realize in terms of who I, who I am. So speaking of role models, anybody else that really played that role along with your parents as your role model? Sure. I would say less role model, but people who stood for things or that I learned from along the way. Um, and there's a was a man named Gordon Davidson, who was the artistic director at Center Theater Group, the Mark Taper Forum, where I worked in Los Angeles. And he was this old school artistic director. He founded the theater in the late 60s. He was a man of mission and purpose, that he believed that doing theater had to have a connection to the community. You know, the stage was a place for us to ask really big questions, for us to wrestle with the issues of our times, to do things that had relevance and meaning that, that would move our society forward. And there's no question that that influenced me. There are artists that I've worked with who've influenced me because they've shown me how um, the theatrical space, how poetry and language and ideas can combine to create these really unique events that move people. So I would, you know, again, the list is long, but those are the kinds of things that have influenced me and have helped, helped to shape me. It is a very hard and difficult field. Did you ever have naysayers as you kind of got into this field and started building your career in it? Uh, I did, um, although not necessarily in ways I recognized. One of the things when I reflect back in maybe the first decade of my career as a young woman coming up through the ranks in a field where there weren't a lot of female role models was that I didn't notice. 
I didn't notice that there weren't a lot of female role models. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about my gender as I was moving through things. There were probably naysayers and obstacles that were there every step of the way. And I just didn't see them. So I didn't acknowledge them. And it wasn't part of my consciousness as I was, you know, figuring out who I was and how I wanted to do things. It was only much later when I began to see you're, you're, you're actually treating me differently because of my gender, not because of my experience, not because of my skill set. Um, but by that time, I was so confident I didn't care and I would just steamroll over those people. The other place, this is, and this was sort of interesting for me, which was that I always knew, or I should say always, from the moment I started working in the theater, I knew that producing was the right place for me that the sort of fusion of, of my artistic brain and my, uh, you know, I like to say it's like my mother, the artist, my father, the engineer fused and made me. And so that the fusion of those things felt very much in alignment with what a producer is. And I never questioned that that's where I belonged. I also thought I wanted to run a theater. And I had many people along the way say to me, the only way you're gonna get a job running a theater is if you become a director. And I thought, but I don't wanna be a director. That's not, I mean, I can direct, I have directed just for various reasons, but it's not the, my core identity. And so I really, really resisted that advice. And I know a lot of other people who took that advice, who became directors and probably not great directors because that's not really where their strengths lie. But the, but the field was telling us, that, especially if you're a woman, that the only way you're gonna run a theater is if you're a director. That is now changing. But when I was coming up through the ranks, it was very much um, a very real obstacle. For somebody starting new, right? Somebody yeah. straight out of college wanting to do this, what would you say their strategy should be? Like you mentioned a couple of things, like look at your strengths, don't get swayed by the advice um, and move you know, to areas that's not your core strength areas, but yeah. anything specific that you would want them to know? I mean, the reality is, and I think this is probably true in many industries, not just the performing arts. At the end of the day, everything is built on your relationships. Mm -hmm. And so what you don't realize at the beginning of the career is that you're actually building relationships without realizing it. You know, a, a cohort of interns are gonna move through the field together. And 20 years later, they're all gonna be in senior positions and those are gonna be your contacts throughout the industry. You know. And when you're maintaining those relationships, it's really important to do it authentically, to, to be yourself, to know yourself, but to also listen and be open to someone else's authenticity, which might be very different than yours, um, and figure out how to move through the world with those people, as opposed to in competition with those people. So I think that relationship building is a key to finding your way. Okay, so now, now let's ask you something fun. Yeah. That you mentioned relationships. So imagine you have to go to Mars and you can only take two people with you. So who would those two people be and why? Okay, can I, can I give you two answers? Because Sure, I, <laughs> yeah, go for because it. Because there's like, there's the really personal answer. Well, I would take my husband and my daughter because those are the two people I love most in the world and I couldn't imagine going to another planet without them. I would never leave them behind. But for the You know Seth would be hanging on that rocket. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Renee would be like, I don't know, I might want to do my own thing. But, but for the intellectual exercise of the question, I, I think about if I had two people, I would want to go with a scientist and an artist. Um, so I thought, well, I'd take Dr. Fauci and I would take <laughs> Anais Mitchell, who is the creator of Hades Town. And my reasons for that are because, you know, and it's funny as I'm thinking about what I was just saying about fusing the artistic with the practical. It's like, oh, look at that. I'm doing the exact same thing when I go to Mars, which is that I need a scientist because there's clearly gonna be survival stuff that's gonna come up. And I want somebody who's gonna be able to help figure out what the answers are so that we can actually survive. But what's the point of surviving without having um, something to live for? And so that's why I bring the artist. And you know, I chose Aeneas because she has an incredible way of seeing the world and with poetry and music, it is, you know, every emotion, every human feeling can be expressed and shared. And plus, you know, who doesn't want to sit around with a guitar and sing songs? So that's my answer. Absolutely. And it, it fits exactly your personality and all of your beliefs. One other thing would be if you were not here today, let's assume you had to redo everything. Where do you see yourself? What would you be doing? It's so hard to imagine doing anything else other than what I'm doing because this just feels so organic the way I've ended up where I am. But I've often like fantasized, well, if like, you know, if there was no more theater, which, you know, one can actually vision now in a way that maybe I couldn't a year ago, what would my career have been mm -hmm. if I was starting from scratch? And I think I probably would have been an architect yeah, I think so. Or an anthrop. I mean, I might have continued. I might have been an anthropologist. I mean, anthropology is great because I love, I love to experience and understand as many different worlds as I possibly can. But I also really love architecture because, again, it's that fusion of creativity and engineering. And yeah. I think I'd really like. I'd be into it. It'd be fun. If you can speak about the sources of your joy, what gives you joy? What makes you happy? What I have found is that joy can be found in the least expected places. Joy, I think, is the way we look at things more than the things themselves. So for me, I find my, like, I find joy in nature, in getting outside, because nature allows me to find my joy within. And I say the same thing about music, like music is a great source of joy for me. Um, and my family is a great source of joy for me. It's, it's amazing how um, all of our sources are so interlinked, right? Mm -hmm. And I think with COVID, this whole getting out, being out in the nature has really come up. Before we go, any advice you would want as you know, a successful leader in your area? what would your advice be to somebody? I think the most important thing is to both know your values and your value and to make sure that both of those things are being honored, that the choices that you make are reflecting how you want to be in the world, but also reflect your worth and your value in the world. Thank you so much. Um, 
I really appreciated having this chat and thank you so much Mara for your time and being here and for all your great advice uh, for our listeners. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for asking.